You're listening to The Worship Review, a podcast which evaluates contemporary Christian music for the good of the church to the glory of God. This podcast is for the whole church to encourage thoughtful engagement with the words, emotions, and ideas in our music. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to The Worship Review, a podcast where we examine the songs being sung by the church uh, for their content and clarity, and ultimately their ends. My name's Tyler. I'm a PhD student at a large Midwestern university where I study Germanic languages, and I'm joined by my co-host, Colin. I'm a professor, history professor at the same institution, and was a worship leader for about 15 years. And Tyler, I know you led worship for a while as well. So each week we go through a song and look at its components critically and try and understand what's being said about God and about the church. And this week we're looking at a song by Hillsong Worship called Who You Say I Am. Our criteria are based on three general questions. First, who or what is the song about? Second, what happens in the song? Third, is the song consistent, coherent, and clear? And finally, we'll conclude including a uh, a rating on a five-point scale, one being the worst and five being the best, as to whether or not we think this song should be sung congregationally. So, Colin, uh, by way of introduction, who or what is this song about? This is a song uh, about the worshiper, I thought, uh, or and specifically about a person. So it's about an individual, about a person who is a child of God. That is the kind of metaphor that I think is most consistent in this song. And there's also a reference to uh, the father's house. So it seems to me that this is a song that describes the status of an individual person who is a child of God. And there, I think, uh, yeah, God is also, I mean, again, there's fatherly language, but there is God in here as well. He's described as the highest king. So we have a, a, a phrase uh, uh, which describes God as a, a monarch, but there's also the son. So we have uh, who the son sets free, is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. That's the chorus. So there is the son, and he is named as Jesus later on in the in the song. Verse two, Jesus died for me. Yes, he died for me. So we have a worshiper who's kind of the main focus of the song or be, being described in, in, the, in the song. We have God, who's the father and also the highest king. And then there's the son, who's named as Jesus. Now, I will also say, though, that there is uh, an absence in the song, and that is we have an individual. I don't see the body of Christ or like the what we would think of as the church Catholic or the church, you know, the, 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 the broader congregation. Uh, I'm not saying that that's necessarily a problem, I guess, but I just think it's worth noting the absence here as well. This is cl- this song is is the all the language in this song points to an individual relationship, a relationship between God, the Father, and this child. 
of gods. So if you're a worship leader listening to this and you're selecting songs for a, a Sunday morning, make sure you fill it out with um, some songs that speak about the plurality of uh, people praising God. I think you would need to. And we know that that's, this, uh, this is being chosen because it's on the top 10 of CCLI right now. Yeah. Very good. Um, so the song is for the individual Christian, you said. Um, yeah. I, I also added... Um, wrestling with questions of identity yeah um because it opens with this well open question who am i Mm. that the highest king would welcome me who am i that the highest king would welcome me i was lost but he brought me in oh his love There's a problem. Yes. It begins right away with the problem. A very, And it's a very normal question yeah. for Christians to ask. Um, when you look at your life yeah. and you realize that you are far from being what you should be, um, who am I that the highest king would welcome me? It's also a problem. It's not just a broad philosophical question of identity. It's actually a question of Christian identity. The premise of the who am I is within the context of that the, that the highest king would welcome me. So this the question is starting from a response, actually. God has loved me. The highest king has welcomed me. Who am I that... Yeah, that would happen. You know, Mindful we, of the Psalms, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. What is man that yeah. you would consider exactly. him? Exactly. Right. Which is a biblical, scriptural question. Yeah. Uh, and a good and and it's a healthy question for the Christian to ask because the answer will be, "You are in Christ, mm-hmm. right? You, you are a child of you God. are a child of God." Which the, and the song answers that question. It says, "That's that's who you are. You're you're God's child." Mm-hmm. And so, if it opens with this question, does it resolve with an answer to that question? It, it actually it's it's quite clever now that I think about it. It starts with God as the highest king, which is a distant that's a distant image. It is a scriptural image as well. God is a king. He's described as a king, he's described as having a kingdom. Jesus is described as a king. But then we also see in scripture, and again famously, many people are of course aware of the 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 intimacy that we can use that we can use to talk about God, the Abba Father. Mm-hmm that line which comes in a couple of times in scripture. So there's this sense of God's um maybe distance isn't the right word but his his otherness, right? His, his being high his being high above us, his ways higher than our ways, etc. Uh, the song is trying to resolve this paradox that we've been welcomed by the highest king and I think its answer is yeah but you're also a child. Like God is also a father and you're a child of God. He says that about you, and that's who you are. In my view, I think that's a pretty good answer for yeah. for for why we've been welcomed. Like this identity, not an identity crisis, but this question about identity that the Christian, because again, it's a Christian asking this, is is asking. What do you, What do you think? Yeah, I think it ends with the double affirmation. I am a child of God. Yes, I am, right? I mean, we have, and depending on where and how you sing this, you're going to repeat that uh, a few times as well. Absolutely. I, I do see the the clever uh, mixing of these two seemingly contradictory images. It reminds me of that uh, kind of famous Tim Keller quote, who has the gall to knock down 
um, the door of the king at midnight and run in there. Well, it's his child. The child will run into the bedroom at night and disturb the king while he's sleeping. But no one else can do that, right? Yeah. Um, so, absolutely. Um, we also see, I think, a good element um, in verse 2. While I was a slave to sin, Jesus died for me. Yes, that's the other metaphor. Beautiful. Yeah. Absolutely beautiful. And as, and again, scriptural, uh, that is a, that's a metaphor that is constantly used by Paul, the kind of slave metaphor. So we have the idea of uh, a person being a slave and a slave to sin. So we have some clarity as to what it means to be a slave. Uh, it's not just an empty metaphor here, slave to sin. Uh, we have uh, the idea of ransom. So we have the means by which the slave is freed. Something had to be paid. Uh, for Recompense. The, yeah, exactly. There needs, to, there needs to be a purchase made for that slave. It's property. Uh, and uh, then we have the idea of freedom. Now, they're in a different order. So you have I free I wish they at were last. flipped, don't yeah, you? <laughs> exactly. But maybe that makes sense because, um, again, it's, it's, maybe it's consistent because the first verse starts with, the Christian's position. Like when when the person is asking this question of identity, they're asking it as a Christian. So in the same way, like we're starting with the status of being free. How did this happen? Right? It's it's, it's almost a, it's an examination of history in a lot of ways. It's like it's like I'm in this position now. How did I get here? You know, for the Christian that doubts. Oh, it happened because of God's action. He ransomed me when I was a slave. Brilliant. And let's start to talk about the actions yeah. taken in this uh, song. So what happens in the song? There, There is a lot of description in the song, maybe more than action. An implied action. Yeah. Too. So there's a lot of describing the status of this person, but there are some actions going on. They um, are mostly done by God. So God does things like welcoming. So he welcomes me. Uh, he he brings me in, he sets me free, and I keeps I'm saying me because the, again just to emphasize that the song is about an individual. It's, I'm not going to say us because the song doesn't do that. Um, I put me question mark in here because you know the the chorus is who the sun sets free is free indeed, right? That's intentional, presumably intentionally vague. He ransoms me, uh, and he died for me. So there's that action. Uh, and God is the agent doing the action. God is the one who's doing all of those things. And uh, those, by the way, again, in most cases, those are quantified reasonably well. There is a bedrock of action into which these things are yeah. stapled. Now, and then the other thing that I think this song does, and is quite sophisticated about it, is there's also there are also people who are act the individuals acted upon, mm-hmm. and you really see that in the bridge. So we have the passive, the passive verbs as well. I am chosen. 
not forsaken. So chosen and forsaken are not actions that the believer does. They're things that have been done yeah. to the believer. The believer is the patient. They're the the object of God's action. So even when verbs are describing the believer, it's being done to the believer. Mm-hmm. And again, these are great verbs. They mm-hmm. have meaning in scripture. I you know, the the not forsaken reminds me of the first chapter of Joshua where um, God says that he will never leave nor forsake you. I am chosen. And and again, so this is something that is, fits with the rest of the song, that the person is starting from a position of being free, starting from a position of being welcomed, and we have some a good verb that it's chosen. Again, this is a, a scriptural concept. One of the beautiful things about these verbs here, chosen and forsaken, is they are past participle yeah, constructions. Right. And so that means... They have the perfective aspect. They are something that happened and has been completed, and now we can talk about it in a complete state. And so as opposed to preterite forms of verbs, which talk about something that began in the past and may still be going on, these are accomplished actions. I am chosen. I am not forsaken. It's sealed. It's done. I am safe as a child. This is why you want a linguist on your on your podcast. They know what those words mean, and they can explain them to you. Imagine the difference if it had said, God chose me. Well, that, that could still mean that he might choose something else. But if yeah. I am chosen, it's done. Yes. And, cho- and by the way, chosen is a status. So this is a song resol- trying to resolve identity and status. And it says, I am chosen. Cho- I, am a, I am a chosen one. I would also add there there are just quite a few, as we've already said, state of being verbs in here. I was lost. Um, So we have these states of being lost. Uh, I was a slave to sin. While I was a sinner, Jesus died for me, an active verb, ransoming me. Um, He brought me in. The highest king brought me in. The sun sets me free. He makes me a child of God, and there's now a place for me. Um, I'm chosen. I'm not forsaken. You Presumably, God are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. Um, let's talk about the clarity mm-hmm. of this song. Is it consistent, coherent, and clear? In my view, for the most part, yes. So I I thought the household metaphor is is strong in this song. This is a metaphor that Paul uses in Ephesians. So we have like like verse uh, 19 of the second chapter. Uh, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now, I people have probably heard this before, but so I, I, I work on the ancient Roman Empire, and I can tell you that that household metaphor is not just like you live with somebody. Like that is um, that is coming under the authority and protection and care of an almost king like figure, the paterfamilias in the in the in the Roman household. So when when Paul is saying you are a member of the household of God, he is, and this is something that children would be brought into, slaves, grandchildren, etc. They could be they were brought in, they were into the household, um, and they were. You just completely under the care of the father. Now, now in in the in the sinful state of a human father, that could lead to problems. Like the the human a human paterfamilias 
um, could abuse his children, grandchildren, slaves, etc. But of course, we're in the household of God. So being a child of God, being being brought being bought, I should say, out of slavery and being brought into the household of God uh, affords us the care and love of the Father who who actually sent his son, right, to die for us, to bring us into that household. So that was the price that was paid. So in my view, I, I think the language in this song really, obviously it can't, the song can't give us a history lesson. It can't talk, you know, can't tell us about the paterfamilias, but what it does do is make it clear that the question of whether of why the king has welcomed us, uh, it, it answers that question, and it does that consistently within the metaphor. Now, it and it brings uh, it does bring in the the also the slave, um, the slave and free metaphor uh, a little bit, but I, I do think that that works. Mm-hmm. So you have John uh, chapter eight verses 31 through 36, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him or had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth. The truth will set you free. Uh, and they answered him. So, so Jesus says the truth will set them free. And by the way, the truth is that uh, if you abide in my word, so uh, we can't just say the truth will set you free as so many, right? So many versions of that omit that first bit. Um, anyway, the, the, I've seen that written on buildings. Exactly. Like cornerstones. And exactly. Like yeah. um, so the, the Jews answer him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? So like they're kind of insulted by the fact that Jesus says you were, you were, um, you, you need to be set free. They're like, well, we haven't been slaves. That's a big deal because slavery is a status in the ancient world. It's not just a condition. It is, it is a defining aspect of who you are. You lose your name, you lose your identity, you lose your nationality, you, you lose everything about your former life. So for Jesus to say they have been set free is gravely insulting to them. So they say, how can we, how can we have been set free? We weren't slaves. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you that everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So this is, again, the song is not explaining this whole thing, but it it really, I think, does a good job of capturing the main point of this metaphor in a way that I think ties with the household metaphor pretty well. I, I mean, I think this is pretty clear. We don't, what we don't have, which I kind of like to see is a little bit more about the means by which God made this happen. So you have the metaphors being explained really well, and you do have the word ransom. So a Christian singing this is going to know kind of what that code word means. It gets at the the end of adoption, but none of the propitiation that had yeah. to take place for that to be the state. I, I actually was critical of the clarity uh, for different reasons, and there was just just a little thing. And so I will call this a minor concern, not a okay. major concern. Um, you are for me, not against me. Mm-hmm. This is true of the Christian in a sense, but I don't think that that is just generally true of no. all of the endeavors that a Christian can make. And I don't want to fault them too much for this. Because it is, it is a very well-written song. 
Um, but I, I just wanted to to add to this. Yes, God is for us. Um, we know this, say, from Romans 8. And we look at the end of Romans 8. Um, here's just verses 30 to 33, the very end. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to those things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. And so a little bit earlier we saw, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, that God being for us is rooted in the idea that we are chosen for a purpose, Mm. to glorify him. We have been set apart for this reason. Um, And so I I just want to be very particular about saying, um, you are for me, not against me. There are, you know, the sinful man that lives still in me and in every Christian, God is not for that man. God (laughs) is very much against Against, that man and is actively working by his Holy Spirit to reform. And and you should be working as a Christian to kill that Mm -hmm. man. So when we say you are for me, not against me, we have to remember that we are f- we are meant to glorify God, uh, and God is for us in that sense. And I, I thought of Jeremiah 13. Mm-hmm. Um, this is verse 11. And this is not a very flattering image of God um, being for us, but it shows that the purpose of him being for us is his own glory, ultimately, not our own, uh, not our own freedom, yeah. frankly. Um, for as the loincloth clings to the waist of a man, so I made the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me, declares the Lord, that they might be for me a people, a name, a praise, and a glory. But they would not listen. Um, so that is the sense in which we should see God as being for us. The purpose is praise and glory to God the Father. Yeah, and that just brings up another issue of uh, maybe, uh, and again, maybe it's demand, maybe I'm demanding too much of this song. What does it mean to be free? Yes. What do we use that freedom for? Exactly. And I think the song, again, it doesn't, it doesn't really tell us that in any way. Like being free is great. What does that mean? Does that mean we're free to vote? Or does that mean we're free to be Americans or you know, in scripture, we are free not to sin. We are free to be sanctified. We are free to be justified and we are free to glorify God. We have been set free for our purpose. We have not been given autonomy. Mm-hmm. Freedom in the, freedom does not mean like we've been free to like do whatever we want. Yeah. And it fits well with the child metaphor. Any parent will tell you, is your child free to do whatever they want? Absolutely not. There are responsibilities and yeah. um, things that come along with being a child yeah. um, that we have to keep in mind. We aren't talking about this song, but there are plenty of songs that take this element of freedom and really riff on it. And there's a really famous version of Amazing Grace that does this with the idea of, and my chains are gone, I've been oh, set yeah. free. That Freedom doesn't even appear in the original text to that <laughs> hymn at all. I, I, I realize that it's true. But that doesn't mean that it's relevant, if that yeah. makes sense. Maybe maybe uh, in a future podcast, we'll, we'll take a look at that. Would you advocate that this song be sung in congregational worship? On the whole, I would say, yeah, probably. Of course, it is a formulaic song. It's that soft, emotional rock stuff. Uh, 
it's got this classic uh, trope in the evangelical, in the kind of contemporary music, Christian contemporary music, which is right before you go to the chorus, you have a, a line that you sing at a low octave, and then you sing that same line at a high octave. Matt Redman does that a bunch in his music. There's some cliche, like some musical cliches in this song that I would find, uh, I, I don't know, that are just a bit much. But yeah, I, I, on the whole, I think the minor, the very minor quibbles that I would have about this song uh, are outweighed by the positives in this song. Yes, the song speaks truths and it's beautiful um, in how it does that. And like I said, I only had a minor objection. Um, but ultimately, it seems to be oriented toward the individual it is. And, and not toward the people of God. And um, I, I don't want to create a prohibition on songs that do that because plenty of psalms do that. And mm-hmm. they don't talk about, you know, some some of them talk about the assembly. Some of them just talk about my individual experience with God. Um, but I am I am weary uh, and, and kind of, of wary of that. Individualistic it is. Yes, so I I'm not willing to afford it as much praise actually. Ah. Yeah, I guess, and we're 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 all, we are talking about a congregational setting. Yeah. So whereas this song like zooms in on the person, mm-hmm. so they're singing this and having this individual. Each individual person yeah. is having this. Can say you know if ten if a hundred people are in the room and they all say I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Yes, it's true, absolutely. Um, but I think it's it's missing. But it misses the idea of the flock that God yeah. has chosen and has saved. Um, also, an issue in, and I think uh, maybe someday we'll 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 talk to people who can tell us more about the history of church music. But I do, I am aware that there was a turn, and I forget where it was. And maybe it was the early 20th century or late 19th century, towards the kind of just me and God. Mm-hmm. Uh, language and music, and this has become mm-hmm. a major part, a, a significant component of many contemporary Christian mm-hmm. songs. And you again, you can see it even in some even before contemporary Christian music was a thing. It, it, there became this idea of the the individual relationship with God, and in particular, the in particular the individual worship experience. So, f- quite famous older version of this is that song about. God being in the garden, whatever it is, you know. The, and he walks yes, that's with right. me, and he talks with me. That's right. He tells me I am uh, his, his own, own. Uh, and the joy we share as we tarry, tarry there, there. No other has ever has, known. Right. Which I mean, that's I, I don't know when that song was written. I have no idea. Yeah, but it's an older song. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I, I don't think we can say that no other person mm-hmm. has ever known the love of. You know the love of God or the That's joy of God. That's a different episode. I'm happy to disagree yeah, maybe with you we on can, that one. <laughs> maybe we could talk about that song. Well, yes, um, but anyway, my, my point just is, you have some very individualistic sentiments in that song, yeah. whether or not they're erroneous, I guess. But so this song does major on that. So I get what you're saying about that being a problem for a congregational uh, setting. Uh, I gave this four out of five kangaroos. <laughs> so. Okay. 
I, I thought it was uh, that was pretty high up there. I, I gave it three oceans deep. Oh, well done. So, um, <laughs> you mean you mean three amazing drum solos? <laughs> yes. <laughs> So for those of you who haven't heard our scoring system before, three means there are some major, some minor, uh, but the good elements outweigh them. Uh, and four means there are some minor about singing this congregationally, but no major major issues. Um, so Tyler, are there songs that you would either sing in addition to this song or perhaps instead of it that get across some of the same meanings or the same that touch on the same themes that this song touches upon. Yeah, I would. This song opens with a person marveling at their salvation in Christ. And a song that does this, an old hymn that does this from Wesley really well is, And Can It Be? Uh, It opens with, And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued. And throughout the song, describes the mechanism of our salvation, the context in which we found ourselves when we were saved, we were dead in our sins, and um, why it is amazing that we would be welcomed into his family. Yeah, it really captures the sense of wonder through several parallels. So, died he for me who caused his pain. So, we're causing pain and yet he dies for us. Like the very pain that we're causing him is the mechanism by which he dies, you know, is the is part of the death that he dies for us. Mm-hmm. Or for me, who him to death pursued. We're pursuing him to his very death as, you know, sinners and people who are at enmity with God. And yet God, in the midst of our pursuing his death, is pursuing us by going to the cross and dying is pursuing us unto life. So mm-hmm. there's interesting parallels and those are wonder- those provoke those parallels which are rooted in the cross provide a real objective sense of wonder. We should at some point mm-hmm. probably talk about this song more fully in yeah. a future episode. Some have criticized the line he emptied himself of all but love because referencing Philippians we know that he emptied himself but we don't necessarily agree that he emptied himself of other attributes other than love. We should talk about it Agreed. at some point. Yeah. Um, other songs? Yes. There is, in the refrain of this song, a strong emphasis on our adoption. Um, not just our salvation, but our adoption. And a song that does that very well uh, alongside this one, or perhaps as an alternative to this one, is Arise, My Soul, Arise, which uh, contains the stanza... My God is reconciled, his pardoning voice I hear, he owns me as his child, I can no longer fear, with confidence I now draw nigh, and Abba, Father, cry. Um, this this song also does a very good job of um, encouraging the, the believer to uh, arise and praise God for the salvation that has been freely given them, and... Um, also marvels at the adoption that they've now received. They, they're now reconciled and they're now a child of of their former enemy by no effort of their own. Uh, four kangaroos and three oceans deep. We'd love to hear what our listeners would give this song. So uh, we'd love to hear from you. Reach out to us and uh, we hope to catch you on the next episode. You've been listening to The Worship Review. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, or email us at feedback at theworshipreview.com. 
We accept donations at Anchor FM slash The Worship Review and Patreon.com slash The Worship Review. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.